Well, I think all of us in this place would agree that no person, no individual has ever impacted history like this man named Jesus. He's never. I mean, I mean that's just a fact itself. It, even if you take out the salvation, which I know you cannot really separate from Jesus. I know that. But I'm just saying if you just approach it from a purely historical standpoint, point, no individual has ever impacted, has ever impacted life here on earth like Jesus. Think about the time itself. We, we are talking about entering the year 2016 before long. Why do we speak about 2016? The calendar itself has been impacted by the birth of Jesus Christ. I love this. Every, every time an atheist writes the year, he is basically recognizing that Jesus impacted this world. Isn't that awesome? I don't care if they try to call it the common era. They, cry, they are dating their, their time right now based upon the birth and the life of Jesus. He has impacted everything. And he continues to impact our lives. As we trust him, as we serve him, as we accept him for who he is. And certainly, he impacts our mission and our ministry. You know, we've looked at the book of Acts almost, what, almost two years now? I was thinking through it this afternoon. Almost two years, we've talked about the book of Acts on Sunday night, and we've talked specifically about how the theme of this book is the triumph of the gospel over every barrier. But remember, the reason that gospel exists and the reason the early church took this news was because this man named Jesus was born. He was born in humility. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He demonstrated power in ministry and in teaching. He died on the cross, the complete sacrificial death for us. And he was resurrected from the dead. And because of that man named Jesus, who also was God. Because of him, the church took forth a mission of hope and of life and of encouragement. And that is the same message, that is the same mission we take today. Now, what I want you to look at tonight in Acts chapter 20 is the way that church continued to take the message. And in Acts 20, in these first few verses, what I want to show you tonight is that there were long days for the ministry and mission. There were long sermons. Some of you will be able to uh, identify with that. And there were long journeys that this mission took them upon. Notice beginning in verse 1. It says, after the uproar had ceased. Now remember they were in Ephesus and because of just the preaching and teaching that was going on of the church... The culture was radically changed. The, those that were making idols and shrines, well, their business had been affected. Why? Because these new believers had turned away from those idols. They were not worshiping those idols anymore. They had turned to the one true Christ, and it had affected the economy and the business of that community. 
I touched upon something last week in that passage that I just want to remind you of. When we have been transformed by the gospel, it will impact us and our relationship to culture, and it will impact culture itself. Always will. Now, listen, it does not mean, I want you to hear this again, because I'm not sure some of you heard it last week. I saw some of you kind of fading off there toward the end, so I just kind of let you off easy. But let me, let me remind you this. It wasn't so much that they had an agenda. It wasn't so much that they went out into their community and said, we're going to boycott this business. It wasn't so much that. It was that their lives had been changed and it had been changed in such a way that it naturally, it naturally grew out of their experience and it just naturally happened. It wasn't like Paul said, hey, go down and, and boycott those people. No, they just so experienced the change of Jesus Christ in their life that they went out and they conducted themselves accordingly. That's all it was. It was that plain experience of what Christ Jesus had done in their lives. So you remember the uproar. You affect somebody's pocketbook, well, you will have people that are unhappy. And they began to come against Paul and those disciples. So that uproar in Ephesus has ceased. So verse 1, it says, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, departed to go to Macedonia. Now, when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. Now, give you a little background of verses 1 through 6 in particular. Luke is just giving us a summary statement of what's going on in Paul's life. But if you read the Corinthian correspondence, you'll see that in this time frame, Paul is ministering and he is writing to the people at Corinth. As a matter of fact, here in this place, he's going to meet Titus to hear how the church at Corinth has responded to his severe letter. It's interesting. I've been studying recently again as I've been teaching on Monday mornings and uh, seeing how Paul related to that early church at Corinth. You, You recognize their relationship was very strained. When you look at 1 Corinthians you see how strained it is. They were, they were fractured. They had disunity. And some of them even questioned the credentials of Paul. So what Paul had done is he had written a letter to them, one that we don't really have today. He mentions it in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. He had written a letter to them about the immorality that existed in their church. And then after hearing that things were not going on or going very well, he wrote another letter. He wrote another letter about how they were to address those problems of immorality. That's 1 Corinthians that we have in our New Testament. And then he even made a painful visit to them. That's where he goes to them in tears and he tries to call for their repentance. Then he sends another letter that is even more severe, that caused them to come back to the Lord. Now think of this. His concern, his ministry for Corinth, a church that he had been vitally a part of. And now here he is in this passage, basically going to Macedonia, waiting to hear how they'll finally respond. Remember, he had been there on his painful visit. He had written a severe letter to them. So he's going to hear from Titus, how is the church doing? 
And notice it says, verse 3, stayed three months again in Greece. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return to Macedonia. And Sophodor of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, Gaius of Derby, and Timothy and Tychicus, or Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men, going ahead, waited for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Just reading that, just reading those first few verses, it makes you kind of feel for Paul, doesn't it? I mean, Paul is doing everything he can to minister. He's going to these areas. He's staying for a while. As I said to you, he's still got Corinth on his mind. He's writing to them. He's trying to help them as they overcome their issues. So he is putting in long days for the ministry, long days for the mission of God. He is on his way ultimately to this place called Jerusalem. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But here he is investing his life, investing his time in the kingdom. Long days for the ministry and the mission. You know, I, got, I think God expects us to give our energies to his work. Don't you? Our time to his work. It's so easy sometimes for us to simply write a check. For a lot of us, it's easy for us to write a check. Now, it's important, right? Didn't I just report to you the offering that we received this morning? That is important. And, and Paul knows it's important because he is actually, in some of these travels, what he's doing is collecting, he is collecting an offering for the church at Jerusalem. In, in some of his efforts, he's collecting money. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I want you to see is that here Paul is investing his time and his energy in all of these other people. He is busy about the ministry. He is busy about the mission. I think for us as believers, God has called us to be busy about the ministry and about the mission. All of us. I really don't think God condones laziness in our lives. I think he calls us to give our best efforts and to give our best concerns for other individuals. And that's what Paul is doing, is he is making this round. He's taking these individuals with him. I, I think Dr. Luke himself, obviously, is with this, this uh, company because it says we. Notice there's some of these we sections you find in the book of Acts saying that Luke was actually with them as they were traveling. They're going, they're giving up these long days. Verse 7 gives you a specific day of ministry in his life. It says, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. In other words, on Sunday, one of the first references to Christian believers coming together on a Sunday, on the first day of the week, says that they came together, they broke bread. I believe specifically a, a reference to the Lord's Supper as they were coming to observe uh, the Lord's Supper. They were celebrating it. Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. So here he is. He's been all these different places. He's been ministering. He's been thinking about Corinth. He's been thinking about the place he is. He's been working. And now he's preaching here on this first day of the week. And it says that he preaches until midnight. I thought about giving you a visual illustration of that tonight. 
preaches quite a while. Aren't you kind of proud that I haven't tried to mimic Paul in all of ministry? Preached a long message. Verse 8, it says, There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together, and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. I'm not sure if Dr. Luke meant a little bit of humor behind this, but I'm going to tell you, I find some in it. It says that as Eutychus is sitting there in the one, that there's, he's just like falling asleep. It, it kind of comforts me as a preacher, okay? Because I'm thinking to myself, if the apostle Paul kind of lost the attention of some people every now and then, it's not so bad that I lose the attention of some people every now and then. I mean, you, you listen, this is the apostle Paul. I mean, this is one of the most exciting, energetic this is one of the most interesting fellows you'll ever meet. One of the most dynamic witnesses. He's preaching and he's teaching. And this man begins to fall asleep. Well, you can imagine. I mean, he's been there. It's almost midnight. It, it, it tells us that there are these lamps that are lit in the room. These lamps that are sucking up all the oxygen out of the room. And perhaps that is the reason Eutychus kind of got by the window and sat there to get some fresh air trying trying to stay awake, trying to just allow the night air to, to blow and, and awaken him. Maybe that was it. I'm, I mean, I feel for some of you. I understand that sometimes your eyelids just get heavy, you know? I've seen people, I, I could talk to you over and over about people I've seen just go sleep in church. I used to have a, a deacon at Pine Grove. He would sit there on about the second row and he would chew gum most of the time. And he would sit like this. And then you would see that he would begin to slow down just a little bit. And his eyes would close. And I would do everything I could. I was such, I was much more of a dynamic preacher back then. I promise you. They'll tell you. That I, I was one who would walk the aisles. And I mean, I know you don't think I, that's in me, but I used to kind of do it a little bit. And I would do everything I could to try to keep him awake. Just, it was hard. I had another guy at Canaan, my very first church, sat on the very front. Well, he sat on the second row too. It's kind of weird the way these deacons do. He would sit on the second row and he, I, I'm telling you, as soon as I got up, he went to sleep. He didn't even play like anything was going on. And, and, and I, would, I would come down, Leslie would tell you that I would come down. There wasn't a very large church, and obviously I could come down from the pulpit. Back then, I'd pop my hands a lot of times, and I would do it right at Tony when I was over there. Never could wake him up. Never. His watch went off at noon. His watch went off. He was wide awake. He knew it was noon. It was time to get out. He didn't know why we were still there started telling him I had to preach the message over again because he hadn't heard anything I'd said beforehand. <laughs> friend of mine pastored in Pontotoc, Mississippi. He was pastoring up in Pontotoc, and um, he, had, he knew that one of his uh, deacons kind of slept through some of uh, his message, did that quite often, seemed like. So at the end, now I do this sometimes as well. You may not know this, but sometimes we preachers will look around and we'll see people who really aren't paying attention. 
and we'll ask him to pray the closing prayer or something like that. I'm not saying I'm going to do that tonight. Some of y'all will be like, sometimes you just, you just got to know some of us preachers, we're just kind of like that. So Philip told me that he was there and he was preaching and he saw one of his deacons back there and he was asleep. And, um, at the end of the service, uh, uh, he, he was, he would ask him to pray a lot of times. And when he was asleep, what his wife would do is just punch him and she would, he would wake up all that kind of stuff. Well, there in Pontotoc, Harmony Baptist Church, he was there, the deacon was, and he was sleeping just like he usually does in the sermon, and um, he began to snore. That's embarrassing, folks. Just remember that. It could happen to you if you go to sleep. It's embarrassing. He began to snore. So what does she do? She elbows him. He stands in the middle of Philip's sermon. Father, we thank you again for allowing us to be here today. <laughs> Philip said when he finished praying, he just said, thank you, brother so-and-so. Appreciate that beautiful prayer. I think I'm going to finish my message now, he said. <laughs> True story. I understand. People go to sleep. That happens. Eutychus, here he is. He goes to sleep. It's midnight. The, the oxygen has been sucked out of the room. He's there by the window. He goes to sleep. And, and it seems to be a humorous story that Dr. Luke is telling us. And then it actually says that the humorous story turns into a miraculous moment. This is awesome. This is awesome. Because it says that the young man, he falls three stories to his death. But Paul went down, fell on him, embracing him, said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. And when he had come up and broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young men in alive, and they were not a little comforted. The young man is brought back to life. This is one of these moments in Scripture that you just stand there and you think, how amazing is our God? Because the young man who fell out and was dead, Paul goes, and this is kind of like one of those Elijah, Elisha moments where Paul basically embraces this young man and this young man comes back to life by the power of God. And Dr. Luke, I've told you through this study that he is given to understatements, right? Because he says he brings this young man in alive and they were not a, they were not a little comforted. No, they weren't a little. They were a lot comforted. They were so excited. They were praising the Lord. Now, there were a lot of people saying, we are not going to sleep when Paul comes back into town and does another revival. We're not. But they were so thankful because they had seen the power of God. Listen, the same power which that exists still in our lives through the, listen, through the long days, through all of the long ministries that come, God's power is still evident. I told you that this is the triumph of the gospel over everything. Think for a moment. Think for a moment just just the weariness that could come in the church or could come into Paul's life. The weariness. 
of all the long days and all the long messages and, and, and all the long ministry that he had been investing in. And yet somehow God energized him and gave him the power to keep going. Think of all the discouragement that could come within the church's life. I mean, all throughout the book of Acts, we've seen things like persecution and issues that they would face. Think about this moment of discouragement with this young man who was just simply there listening to a sermon, who, who just simply fell asleep. How discouraged they could be that this young man was dead. But what God did is that he came and demonstrated his power and demonstrated how great he is to dispel any type of discouragement from ministry and mission. I, I say to you that when you look at this, you see the way the gospel continues to triumph over every barrier. And that is the message of Christ. That is the good news of Christ. That is the glorious power of what God does in our lives is that he overcomes everything and that he demonstrates his power constantly. It says that they come up and they have fellowship together. They break bread together. They celebrate Christ together. And then Paul just continues. Verse 13, it says, Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos. They're intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. He walks, well, he goes basically 20 miles, and he meets them, it says. And then we took him on board and came to Medellin. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Kios, which, by the way, is the home of the or associated with Homer, the, the poet. The following day, we arrived at Samos, which, for those of you mathematicians, supposedly the home of Pythagoras, uh, and stayed in Tregillium. The next day, we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. I mean, just this. I mean, it's so easy to just skip all these verses, but just the verses remind us of these long journeys and the way the gospel is continuing to go forth. I mean, today we talk about reaching the world. That's, I mean, that's what we've talked about and we're emphasizing this week of reaching the world and doing everything we can. We think, how in the world can we make that happen? Uh, friends, we can still make that happen through the power of God. Could you see what these individuals are doing and the the geographical movement and advancement of the gospel that is occurring in the book of Acts. And listen, they're doing this without planes, without technology, without the resources that we have today. They're doing it. All these different places. I think I mentioned to you that if you read the book of Acts, you'll see mentioned approximately 30 countries and 50 cities. 30 countries and 50 cities mentioned in the book of Acts. Isn't that extraordinary? And most of those were associated with the Apostle Paul. Most of them. That he was able, with his team, to minister and, and, and demonstrate mission in all these different places. 
How'd he do it? I mean, how could he do all these things without all of the technology that we have today? He did it through the power of the Spirit of God. Remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Spirit of God was coming upon them. Then there would be witnesses in, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And Dr. Luke is reminding us that God is using Paul and the other missionaries to connect the dots of the gospel all across the known world. Say again, there may be some long journeys that God calls us to be a part of, but he'll always empower us to accomplish his mission and his work. That is so encouraging to me. Especially when I look at a world that is in chaos. So much of the world that has embraced violence. So much of the world that lives in darkness. So much of the world that lives in open hostility to Christ Jesus. I say to you, this is encouraging to me to know that God can take his people and move them strategically and intentionally into those areas that are receptive and use them to plant the seeds of the gospel so that people can come to salvation, so people can come to knowledge of the truth, so people can experience forgiveness itself. That's exactly what he's doing in Paul's life in these long journeys. And some added benefit, he is uniting the work of the church as he visits all these different places, as he encourages them. Luke doesn't tell us this specifically here. We know he says that Paul's going to Jerusalem. But according to what we read in the other letters and what I alluded to earlier, is that Paul's on a mission. Yes, to get to Jerusalem, but also in the process to take an offering to Jerusalem. What kind of offering? Well, it was an offering that would hopefully help in the relief efforts for the church at Jerusalem. The church at Jerusalem had gone through famine Difficult times, obviously persecution itself. Can you imagine being the church in Jerusalem? I mean, you're the church in the town that where most of the people agreed with crucifying Jesus. And you're there. And now you've got to live out your faith among those people that hate Christ, that were involved in the murder of Christ. Can you imagine the persecution that was coming that way? Can you imagine how it was compounded when the famine hit Jerusalem? So what is Paul doing? Paul's saying, well, I'm going to come and I'm taking an offering among all these churches. And these churches were made up of primarily Gentile individuals. From Gentile, they're from Gentile backgrounds. So think how the mission of God now is uniting the church itself. The Gentile churches said, we love our Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. We love them. There, there's no ethnic issue here. 
There's no disunity that can be found here. But rather, through this common mission, through this common work, through the common work of Jesus Christ in our lives, we are coming together to help them. Now, yes, Paul wanted to alleviate, I think, the suffering of his Jewish brothers and sisters. But listen to me, I am convinced that Paul, through the missionary effort, was trying to unite Gentile background churches, Jewish background churches. He was trying to bring them all together under this one common umbrella of Jesus Christ and his work and his mission. And isn't that what God wants us to continue to do today? In 1845, when the Southern Baptist Convention was formed, it was formed around one common purpose and goal, missions. Read the history. Southern Baptists came together and formed this convention, this association of local churches for the primary reason of, quote, propagating the gospel among the nations. That's the reason we still find unity with our brothers and sisters across the Southern Baptist Convention. If you read, um, if you read some of the Baptist papers or Maybe if you read some of the local papers, especially when Southern Baptists are meeting together, sometimes all you hear about are the disagreements Southern Baptists have. And there are sometimes we do disagree, don't we? I have a feeling you and I probably have some disagreements with our Southern Baptist brothers and sisters. Maybe we have disagreements among ourselves here in this place. Nah. We can have disagreements, especially over little things, the minor things. But what brings us together? One, Jesus Christ, His Lordship over us, who we are. And number two, His mission. As we take his word and his good news and we take it not only to our community and to our nation but as we take it to the world the world itself. That's what should bring us together. That's what should unite us. And I love the way these long journeys, these long days, (laughs) these long sermons can bring together the people of God to continue the missions that was so necessary. Tonight, I pray as we come to this Christmas season, as we think about our lives, as we think about what God has called us to do, that He would unite all of us together once again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent Jesus on a mission.
Jesus' name itself, God is salvation, reminds us that was the primary mission, to save his people, all of his people, from their sins. May we unite. May we commit ourselves to the long days, knowing that God gives the energy and the resources. May we commit ourselves to the, to the tremendous efforts that will be required of his people. May we commit ourselves around the common goal of spreading his good news to the world. That's the challenge that God gives us even tonight. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, we thank you. We praise you. God, we thank you so much that you loved us in such an incredible way that you were willing to send your one and only Son on our behalf. We praise you. Lord, we express our gratitude to you. And God, as we read through these verses tonight, we're reminded that, Lord, we may face discouragement. We may face difficulty. We may, we may face, Lord, long hours and long journeys in our lives. But we're thankful that you're there through your spirit to empower us to be about your mission wherever we are. And Father, we pray that we are faithful in every way, in every effort, through our giving monetarily, through our giving of our time, God, that we are good stewards of the mission you've entrusted us with. God, we pray tonight that you would unite us, Temple Baptist Church, around your son and around his mission. And we pray that you would help us as we work with other churches to see your kingdom come, to see it realized here on this earth. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray these things now in your son's precious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand?